Hello, Vetfolio Voice friends. Welcome back. For this episode, I was joined by Dr. Tamara McArdle to discuss vaccine hesitancy on the part of our clients and how to handle those conversations effectively as well as with compassion in order to help our clients feel safe and heard as well as promoting best medicine for our patients. I think that one of the most important parts of our job is our role in preserving public health, particularly through the use of vaccination and parasite control. And I'll admit, this can make conversations around vaccine hesitancy kind of a challenge for me. However, on the other hand, I've also treated two severe anaphylactic vaccine reactions in my career, as well as vaccine-associated sarcomas, so I can empathize with the concerned owners, knowing my first priority is, of course, to do no harm. Dr. McArdle offers a great reminder that many vaccine-hesitant owners are coming from a place of deep concern for the well-being of their pet, and she dives into some recent research about vaccination rates in companion animals and the effect communication style can have on these conversations. Dr. McArdle, who is board certified by the American Board of Veterinary Practitioners in canine and feline practice, works in feline specialty practice and is a relief veterinarian in general small animal practice. She's passionate about the teaching and recognition of primary care practice as its own specialty. Her clinical interests include canine and feline vaccinology, rare and unusual anemia of cats, and feline geriatric care. She's the author of freeveterinaryce.com, an online resource that connects veterinarians with continuing education resources. Something I guess you could say is right up my alley. Let's go ahead and get into it. Well, for this episode, I am joined by the fantastic Dr. Tamara McArdle. We're going to talk about conversations with the vaccine-hesitant client, and I'm so excited to bring this conversation to life, Tamara, because you have such a way of communicating and, and speaking that, you know, I really am excited to hear how you approach these conversations with clients. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here to talk about this. Yes, let's go ahead and dive in. So you're a general practitioner, but you've taken it kind of a step above and beyond becoming ABVP board certified in canine and feline practice. Tell me, you know, what is it that you love about being a general practitioner that, you know, even what prompted you to, to take that extra step and get board certified? Yeah, I have worked in my career in both general practice with cats and dogs, as well as in cat specialty practice. And the thing that has always drawn me to general practice is this idea that I get to do so many different things in my day and meet so many different types of people and so many different types of pets. I really love the variety of that. But I also am a big believer that general practice really is its own specialty. And I think that there are things that we do that none of the other specialists do and there's expertise that we bring to the table that I really want to see showcased so that the world can recognize and we can recognize in ourselves the special things that we do. Absolutely. And that's a whole nother podcast episode right there <laughs> that I would love to, to go down that road and explore that more right now. But we'll have to, we'll have to do that another time because I'd really love to pick your brain about all of that. Yeah, I would love to talk about it more. But, you know, our talk today is going in a different direction. We're talking about vaccine hesitancy and client communication surrounding vaccine hesitancy. 
And I think you and I could probably sit here and swap stories about this incident or that incident that happened and what our feeling or our perception is on vaccine hesitancy. But what does the data show us? Is vaccine hesitancy really on the rise? There's probably not as much data out there on this as we would like there to be. It's a very difficult metric to measure. There was a report in 2019, so pre-COVID, that was put out by an animal welfare organization in the UK, where they did surveys of large numbers of pet owners over the course of years. And they were comparing from 2013 to 2019. It's called the PAW report. And the 2019 PAW report was focused on vaccine rates, vaccination rates, both for primary series and for vaccine boosters. And they did find a decline in that population in pet owners who were reporting that they had chosen to have both primary and booster series vaccinations done for dogs and cats. And that was even before COVID and all of the concerns that have come up with clients and vaccines since then. Sure, sure. And that started a whole new layer of the conversation there, making this conversation even more important and and how we're communicating with our clients. What do you feel like is the most important or a few of the most important points that we should keep in mind when we're talking to people about vaccines? I think it's really important to recognize that as we're walking into that exam room, that we, the veterinarian, are not the one who's going in there to make the decision for that pet. That pet owner is there to make their own best decisions, and we are there to try to educate them, support them in making the best decisions they can. And sometimes the result of that is going to be that our clients are going to make decisions that we don't like and that we don't agree with. And there's only so much of that that we can take home, you know, I think emotionally. But really, if we walk into it with this team perspective, right, this idea that it's not just us and our our staff team, but it's also our pet owners as part of our team, you know, we walk into it and we build that relationship so that they can make the best decisions they can. I think that's a really good way to look at it. And, you know, it's not our job to make the decision. And in one way, that's frustrating because when you're like, no, but I know what I, what I feel like the best decision is here. And, you know, I've, I've seen this before, I've done this before, and I, and I wish you would listen to me. But on the other hand, like you said, there's only so much that you can take home. So, you know, in, in another way, if you walk in there and did your job and you educated and you made the best recommendations and from there, it's out of your hands, it's almost a little bit freeing in a way as well. Agree with you. Yeah. I also feel like it's important to recognize that the vast majority of these pet owners, they do care and they are trying to make the right decision. I, I think we have all had experiences in healthcare that have led us to understand that it's important to advocate for ourselves and it's important to advocate for our loved ones when it comes to our health. And I think our pet owners are taking that to heart as well. And they feel like they're trying, they're trying to figure out the best thing for their pet. You know, certainly we have some radical opinions out there that can sometimes be frustrating to interact with. But the vast majority of our clients are walking into that room trying to make the best decision they possibly can, whether or not they agree with us. Sure, sure. I could not agree more with that. What do you feel like are some of the common reasons that we encounter clients declining vaccines? 
This actually is something that has been studied and reported on fairly well. And certainly there are factors like cost and access to care that are these huge topics that are far beyond what I'm able to address here. But when it comes to things that we can address in the exam room, the big reasons that are cited in both dogs and cats are number one, a general feeling that vaccines are unnecessary. Number two, the thought that the pet doesn't go outdoors. And that's something that we can be addressing and really should be addressing with every visit, at least with every new patient visit, addressing which of these diseases can be brought home on your clothes or your shoes, right? And which of these diseases are not likely to come home to your indoor pets. And I think when we say it that way, people feel a lot more comfortable with that. But then the third reason that is often cited is this concern that vaccines are potentially unsafe or that vaccines can lead to chronic or severe illness going forwards. And so that's something we have to recognize that our clients are feeling and they're hearing it from other people before they walk in the room with us. I think that's a valid concern that they have leading to chronic illness, maybe not chronic illness from vaccines, but you know, we talk about fibrosarcomas and things like that. And Fortunately, those are very rare, and I'm, I'm certainly of the mindset that the benefits of the vaccines outweigh the risks, but, you know, the risk of a fibrosarcoma, which is something chronic and potentially devastating, is real. Yeah, there are, thankfully, very rare, but there are real negative outcomes that can come from these things, and we have to recognize that. I don't think we need to go into every rare potential outcome with every client, but we need to at least recognize it for ourselves and be aware of those things in our decision making. For sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of a, a cat I saw recently who came in for a dental consult with me and she wasn't up to date on any vaccines. And I talked to the owner. I said, hey, if I'm going to go, you know, digging around in her mouth, I'd really feel more comfortable if we at least had a rabies vaccine on board. Yep. And, and they were fine with that. They were very comfortable. But in talking to them, the reason why they hadn't updated any of her vaccines is because they had a dog who developed immune mediated blood dyscrasias after a vaccine. Mm. They said, you know, we had this horrible reaction and it, it really turned us off and it really scared us from continuing to vaccinate our totally indoor cat. And I thought, well, yeah, I, I yeah. completely respect that. And they let me give the rabies vaccine. And, you know, we had a great conversation about it, but I like that you keep emphasizing that there are, you know, when, when owners come with concerns, a lot of times there is a real fear behind there. There is. And there's a lot of human nature to this, right? Again, stepping aside from the, the kind of radicalized concerns that, that some individuals have, we make our decisions because of the way that human psychology works, right? There are factors like confirmation bias that come into this. You know, one pet has some minor something develop after a vaccine. Maybe they skip a couple meals and you start thinking in your head, are those vaccines really safe? Because he skipped a meal and that is not like him. And then your friend tells you that their friend's dog developed a blood dyscrasia that may or may not have been associated with the vaccine, right? But happened with a certain amount of timing. And what you hear in your head is, I was right to have that worry. And you carry that forward. And we all do that right? Even the best oh, educated sure. of us do that in various situations. There's also this factor of belief perseverance, which is that as we develop ideas and thoughts, it becomes easier for us to notice and pay attention to the evidence that backs up our beliefs, but then to 
not pay attention to the evidence that fails to back up our beliefs. Sure. Are there any other specific human nature type of concepts that have been studied related to vaccine hesitancy and why we may demonstrate vaccine hesitancy either for ourselves or for our pets? In the context of vaccine hesitancy, the topic that comes up the most often is something called the zero risk fallacy. The zero risk fallacy is this logic that people apply to decision making where we feel like we want a decision that has zero risk. Or better to say, we avoid making a decision that does not have zero risk. And you know, rationally, we all know that there's nothing we do in life that carries zero risk, but it's still something we want to create for ourselves. So if we find ourselves looking at decision A or decision B, and decision A carries a small risk that we know about, right? But decision B, maybe it actually carries a much, much larger risk, but it's not something that we're as aware of. We may choose to make decision B because the small non-zero risk with decision A is scary for us, right? Because we're afraid of taking that small risk. And, and that really does influence not just vaccine hesitancy, it influences many of the decisions we make in life, but particularly in the world of vaccine decision-making in human health and animal health, that is a big, big factor. I feel like that explains a lot of the disconnect sometimes in these vaccine hesitancy conversations between veterinarians and pet owners, because like you said, you know, if, if they have their friend's dog who had this reaction one time that confirmed their already present concern about vaccine safety, but they've never seen a parvo case, or they've never, you know, had to worry about rabies, post-exposure prophylaxis. Then, like you said, a much bigger risk, parvo, distemper, you know, you name it, much bigger risk that we've seen and we're aware of, and we know what that can do. But if the owners haven't seen it and they're not aware of it, that makes sense that it would fall into that zero risk fallacy. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something where education goes a long way with these clients, where we can educate them about balancing, you know, this small level of risk versus that higher level of risk. And often if we can articulate it to ourselves in that way, it becomes a little easier to step around that and make somewhat more rational decisions. So I love that you brought up communication because that's my next question is, all right, you know, we're, we're sitting across the table from an owner who says, I don't want my pet to receive any vaccines, you know, for better, for worse. I'm, I'm too scared. I don't want it to happen. What are some of the concepts that you try to keep in mind and that you, you feel it like could benefit all of us out in practice when we're trying to have a positive conversation, a positive communication experience with these owners and hopefully end with, you know, their pet being appropriately protected? I feel like the first thing we need to do is we need to recognize which of our clients are experiencing vaccine hesitancy. And sometimes that's not as obvious as it sounds. You know, the really extreme feeling clients have no pause in telling you what they think. But the vast majority, in my experience, of these vaccine hesitant clients instead of saying to you that vaccine is not safe and I don't like it, right? The vast majority of these clients are just quiet about it. You say something about vaccines, they say, okay. 
when your technician comes in or your assistant comes in and gives them their list of prices, you know, they, they read through their estimate and they say, okay, well, we're not doing that. And we're not doing that. And, it, and you never, you miss that opportunity for that conversation. So I definitely encourage bringing it up. If you have a client who pauses a little bit when you mention vaccines or who has a change in facial expressions, I think we can do a lot to build trust and to build compliance. If you pause your conversation and say, I noticed that you paused a little bit when I mentioned vaccines in our conversation here. Can you tell me what you're feeling about that? Open that conversation up. Yeah, that I mean, and and we're veterinarians, right? We we work with nonverbal communication. I always say that's why I struggle with phone conversations because I lose that nonverbal communication and like this is what I do and and if I lose that I don't function as well. So, being able to be aware of those subtle signs and pick up on them seems like, you know, something that may be within our wheelhouse. You're right. I, and I've never really thought about it that way. And I'm going to take that to heart going forward. We are experts in nonverbal communication. This is what we do. And so let's apply some of that knowledge and skill. The next really big part of this that I want to emphasize is how we approach these conversations. And this is something that has been studied and and evaluated so much more in the world of pediatrics than it has in the world of veterinary medicine. That I think that we need to step out of our own wheelhouse a little bit and grab from what the pediatricians have learned and what they're educating each other on, which is to say that there are different ways of having a conversation. And some of those ways of having a conversation are more successful with our vaccine hesitant clients than other methods of conversation. And looking at the, the research and the publications, there actually is a specific paper that I want to mention here, which was published in the online version of the journal called Vaccine. I didn't know there was such a journal. There is. There's, there's a lot of really interesting research on this. So this is a paper that was just published this year. It's titled Increasing Trust and Vaccine Uptake, Offering Invitational Rhetoric as an Alternative to Persuasion in Pediatric Visits with Vaccine-Hesitant Parents, with the authors Jeremy Make and Adam Lauver. And it's a very interesting paper because it talks about the different ways that we have this conversation and the different styles of communication used for that. One of the styles of conversation that they talk about is something called privileging positivism. And the idea between privileging positivism, say that 10 times fast, <laughs> is that there's a separation of power, so to speak, between the, the parent or the pet owner and the provider. And in that separation, we are assuming that we know everything and that they're there to do the things that we know and tell them to do. And certainly there are clients, I, I know we've all interacted with clients who want us to just tell them what to do, but I don't feel like it's the majority of clients that I see. And what happens in those conversations is say your client tells you, I've heard that vaccines cause autism in dogs. And you know, if the thing that comes out, even if it's just oh no, autism isn't linked to vaccines. It's very easy for that client to immediately lose trust, right? And once you've lost that trusting, you've damaged that trusting relationship, you're gonna have trouble going forward no matter how much you backpedal from that statement. So I do think when the client comes and says something like that, we need to respond with some respect 
maybe pause and clear out the thoughts in our mind and address the concern that they have, which is that in their mind, at least, they have a serious concern, A, that vaccines cause autism, and B, that pets can get autism. And so I think we need to address those things and take it seriously in the vein that the client brought it up. Now I have, I have to dig into this more because I've, I've never heard this. And now have, has anybody said that to you in a room ever? I have. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I did a little mental check when you said that I was like, how would I respond to that? And I think my question would be like, tell me more about that. Like, I'm, that's not something I'm familiar with. What did you read specifically? Like, how, how did you handle that? What did you learn? I think that's a very good way to respond to that is, oh, <laughs> especially if people come up with something that you've never heard before, please tell me where that concern comes from for you. And maybe it is that they have interacted with a child with autism. Maybe it is that their pet is having behavior issues or that a different pet is having behavior issues that are not being addressed because they don't realize that there's something there we can do to solve that problem. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Usually there is somewhere that these questions come from. Absolutely. You know, I love that you said that. Where does it come from for you? You know, what, what is it that is, that is concerning you here? Because there's motivations behind all of our, our beliefs and actions. Yeah. So the second tone of conversation that can get us into trouble is what's called a presumptive tone. And a presumptive tone can also be a detriment to building that trusting relationship. And it can lead to a decrease in vaccine uptake with clients. The idea behind a presumptive tone is that you walk into the room and you tell them what we're going to do. And there's always the possibility that what we're going to do is not what they thought we were going to do. Right. So if that new puppy comes into the exam room and you say, welcome puppy, today we are starting your vaccines. If this is a vaccine hesitant client, they feel like you've just pushed that decision onto them that they have maybe not yet made. And no, again, no matter how much you backpedal from that statement, you're going to have some damage to your trust. And so I, I think as an alternative to that, it's reasonable to say things like, I see in my schedule that he's here for some vaccines. Does that sound right to you for what you remember scheduling? Or you could say, normally we're starting vaccines at this age. Um, can you tell me what questions you have about that? So I'm so happy to hear you put it that way because I've heard you talk about this presumptive tone before. And, you know, again, I, I did a little soul searching and I was like, how do I approach this conversation? And I said, I think, you know, we all have perceptions of ourselves that may be different from reality, but I think the way that I approach this is exactly what you just described is going in and saying, okay, so are, you know, we're starting vaccines today and, you know, kind of opening that door of like, is this what, what you're here for? Cause I think that's what you're here for and opening the door there. So, and it, it seems like a, a shift in tone is primarily what's happened there to go from, Hey, we're starting vaccines today to, Hey, we're starting vaccines today. I agree. It's a big thing about tone. And that's something that as much as we are in tune with nonverbal communication, I think for many of us as veterinarians, tone is something that we struggle with. Yeah, sure. So, you know, how do we approach these conversations in a, in a constructive manner for our vaccine hesitant clients? 
I'm going to encourage everyone to try picking up something called invitational communication. The idea with invitational communication at its core is that we're offering perspectives without necessarily advocating for those perspectives. And we're encouraging people to make their own decisions by presenting them with the evidence that they need to make the decisions from. And what's interesting to me is that invitational communication actually, although it's it's used in vaccine conversations and it's used in a lot of client interactions and parent interactions with pediatricians, it actually comes from the principles of feminism, which are these core values that everyone has a core value of equality. Everyone has imminent value and everyone has the right to self-determination. And so by supporting those things, we can build a lot more trust with our clients. So for example, if your client comes in and they express that they're a little bit hesitant about this, you can acknowledge that their skepticism is healthy, right? Yes, I see that you are trying to think about what is best for your pet and your situation. And I agree that every pet situation is different. And I want to help you to make the decisions that are best for your pet and your situation. And I do think as part of that too, we need to be opening the door to future conversation, right? If people are hesitant, even as we're done talking, we can say, I'm going to give you some time to think about this right? It sounds like you're not comfortable with doing this today, but if you decide after you go and you think about these things that we talked about, that you want to have this rabies vaccine done, we can bring you back, right? And every hospital has their own policies, but we can bring you back and schedule a visit with the technician or another quick in and out visit and get that vaccine done that way if you decide to do it at a later date. Absolutely. And I'm glad that earlier in our conversation, you distinguished between clients who will will look you dead in the face and say, I'm not doing that vaccine. And others who are, you know, a little bit more subtle about it, because I agree, like, it's not a bad thing for clients to have questions and to want to advocate for their pet. And I think of situations where I have clients who will come in and say, okay, so I read on the internet and I know that's bad. And I tell them, I say, it's, it's not bad. Go, you know, you can go read on the internet if you want to know reputable sources. I can send you some reputable sources. But, you know, I, I guess if you went and read on the internet and took everything you read as gospel, then that would make things difficult. But if it stirs up questions in your mind and it creates a conversation where I can help you better understand what's going on with your pet, then I don't think searching, you know, I don't think consulting Dr. Google is the worst thing in the world. And so having those clients where you're really opening the door for them to ask those questions and have that conversation rather than just shut you down is, is an important part of getting these pets taken care of. And I will say that the vast majority of my clients, when I leave that door open to come back with more questions, the vast majority of them come to their own decision one way or the other afterwards. But I do occasionally have a client who sends me an email or leaves a phone message saying, hey, I do have a question about that thing that she said. And I try to be really receptive to those, although it's not super frequent that I get those clients. But as you said, I think that the clients who pause 
are the ones where we have actually the best potential to increase vaccine uptake. The clients who really truly have their mind made up, you might you might never change their mind about that. But the clients who are just a little bit hesitant and pause, if you recognize that and you can intervene with some education with those clients, a lot of those clients, when your technician comes back to them with their treatment plan after you're done talking with them, a lot of them will say, oh yeah, let's go ahead and do that vaccine. Sure, sure. I, I've also had that experience. I have to agree. Yeah. So I love that that we've talked about having these conversations with clients Taking it into a clinic situation, you know, a lot of clinics as of late have been really busy, Um, just crazy (laughs) schedules running around. We were talking before we turned on the microphones that you've had one of those weeks this week. It's just been crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you say to the GP who says, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to sit here and go through this, this dance with all of my vaccine hesitant clients to try to get their pets taken care of. Yeah, you're right. I probably have this conversation about vaccine hesitancy with at least one client every day. And the thing that I tell myself is that by investing a little bit of time now, I am building a trusting relationship so that I save myself time later. The vaccine conversation, the vaccine hesitant conversation probably takes me about five minutes, which is a lot of time in a busy day. Five minutes is not to be ignored. But if we can establish that trusting relationship, that relationship with the client, whether they decide on vaccines or not, right, we've established that they're there to make their decisions and I'm there to support them, then every time they come back in again, they are going to be more likely to accept my recommendations. And those conversations are going to be much shorter for the entire rest of that pet's life. And aside from the need to open the door to future conversations, usually this is a once per client thing. You know, usually you're going to invest this five minutes with each client one time, and it's not going to take a lot of time going forward after that. Sure. I think that makes sense of looking at it in the long term of, yes, it's going to take me more time today. It's going to take time out of my busy schedule. But, you know, next year when we are in the same situation, you've heard all the information and it takes much less time to go over that quickly when you put the time in on the front end. Very much so. And I would encourage you when you have that client who pauses, you have that client who says, okay, right. (laughs) Change your body language, make it clear that you're in for this right? Lean against the wall, set down your notebook. I'm a sit on the floor person, right? Whatever your body language is that tells your clients, let's really have this conversation so that I can really address your concerns. Sometimes that change in body language on our part is really beneficial for them too, because it says we're taking their concerns seriously. Yeah. I was just going to say it's, you know, would give the message. I'm not dismissing you. Like I'm taking your concerns seriously and I'm here to address them. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So we touched on fibrosarcomas earlier and there are other severe vaccine reactions that really can happen. So, you know, it's not like we can look clients in the eye and say, no, nothing bad is going to happen. Don't worry about it. My most recent vaccine reaction was not very long ago. It's still pretty fresh in my brain. And it was, it was scary. He's fine. He's doing great. He has horrible skin allergies, but you know, there's that. How do you go about addressing the fact with clients that there are real safety issues that exist whenever you give a vaccine, albeit very rare, and and help them feel safe in that situation. 
there are real things that can happen. And I think that the mistake that sometimes we make, the thing we should not do is when the client asks that question about safety, if we say, oh no, it's totally safe. Nothing bad ever happens. I'm here to tell you, not true. (laughs) Then the instant that they do a Google search, they know that we've lied to them and they're never going to trust us about anything ever again. Yeah. Right. Now, many of the things they will find with their Google search were probably not actually related to the vaccines, but some of the things that they will find with their Google search are real. I think that the first thing you have to do is really acknowledge the validity of the concerns. And especially if that pet owner has had a situation with a previous pet or someone they know has had something happen with a previous pet, acknowledge that the thing that happened was real, right? At least if it was real, you know, if they said he got cancer, you know, he developed a a splenic hemangiosarcoma five months after he got his rabies shot, right? Again, we don't want to dismiss their concern, but I think we can. Uh, I will take that client and I will say, I see that you are carrying guilt with this and I want you to let that go because that was not caused by anything that you did or any decision that you made. Sometimes bad things just happen. Oh, I like the way you put that. But I do want to encourage as well that veterinarians recognize the risks that go with vaccines. And I want you to know your statistics. In cats, for example, when I work in cat specialty practice, in cats receiving one vaccine at a time, the adverse event rate that has been published is approximately one in 400 vaccines. In cats receiving two vaccines at a time, the adverse event rate that's published is approximately one in 200 vaccination visits. And so I think it's helpful to be able to quote those numbers, you know, which if you were to search back through the literature, there's a couple of papers by George Moore on adverse events associated with vaccines in dogs and cats. There's one paper on dogs and one on cats. And I would encourage everyone to to know at least a couple of numbers out of those papers so that we can quote it to people. And the other thing I often say, every day I say to clients, it is rare for pets to feel sick after vaccines. However, it is not rare if it's your pet. And so if you are worried about anything, I want you to call me, acknowledge the concerns that they have. And I think that goes a long, long way, but also assure them that these things really truly are rare. And if this specific pet has had an adverse reaction in the past, be prepared to make a, a plan for that, which is a whole nother podcast. Oh my gosh, it is. I know I'm thinking of, of my little guy and I'm like, oh gosh, there's just the thought of giving him a vaccine again in the future. I'm like, I don't want to do it. I get it. I get it. My, <laughs> my own dog had a lump that was extremely painful after a vaccination when she was younger. Oh, wow. And, and I still, when I go back to that particular elective vaccine and she's never had a problem since I find myself thinking, well, it's due every 12 months, but maybe I could do it every 14 months and that would be okay. There you go. These things do happen and the, the concerns are valid. Yes. And we all find ourselves thinking of those things and we, oh yeah, <laughs> realistically, we do have to, to do things to mitigate those risks going forward. Right. Benadryl is your friend. <laughs> Um, however, something, something else that I've heard you say, and you know, Benadryl is your friend came from me, but Tylenol is not came from Tylenol you. Tylenol is not your friend. So I have a spiel that I give after every vaccine. And this could be a spiel for you as the veterinarian. 
Or this could be a spiel for your technicians and your front desk staff. But it's something that I say to every single patient who comes in the door, which is after your pet got vaccines today, it is normal if he or she is tired for 12 to 24 hours. It is not normal for him to feel sick or painful or break out in hives or be vomiting unless he or she gets car sick. Okay. Now us ourselves, we know that sometimes pain is a normal immunological response to vaccines, but I also feel like for us as veterinarians, it's not a side effect that we should tolerate. And so if our patients are experiencing pain, I think we need to be prepared to address that if it happens. And so that's something I, I in the short version, I say to clients is not normal. So it's normal if he's tired, it's not normal for him to feel sick or painful. And then anytime I am seeing a cat, I will end my spiel with, and as an FYI, Tylenol is extremely poisonous for cats. So please do not give Tylenol after vaccines or for any other reason. And in particular, I feel like that's important if you're working with someone who works, who has young children, because as parents, we're often in the mindset to give Tylenol if our kids feel sick after vaccines. So I just tell them that I want them to call me before they're doing anything. Well, Tamara, this has been a great conversation. I think you have some really fantastic communication styles, communication points to, to use with vaccine hesitant owners to really make sure that we're validating their concerns, make sure that we're addressing them, not dismissing them. And that at the same time, we're doing everything that we can to appropriately protect pets. And I think one thing it's important to mention here is, you know, not saying every vaccine for every animal all the time has to happen, but making sure that we're having conversations and doing the best thing for our individual patients. Yeah, I really encourage everyone listening to this and everyone out there to lean into these conversations with your client because it's very easy to be scared about talking about this. And it's not something that we should be scared about talking about because it's such an important thing for us to educate on. You know, this is our arena as general practitioners. This is the thing that we can excel at is educating clients on these preventative health topics. And so let's lean into it and let's support our clients in making the best decisions they can while they're advocating for their pets. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Dr. Cassie. Dr. McArdle, thank you so much for joining us and for your insight into these conversations. It was absolutely a pleasure. And thank you to all of you listeners out there for joining us. For more episodes like these, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this episode, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.